0: Father, thank you uh, for the word of God. Thank you that you gave us uh, not only the intellect and the ability to, to study, but also the, just the privilege of handling and holding a book that's so full and rich uh, of who you are and who you desire us to be. So as we look at um, the plagues this morning of all things, God, we pray that we would see that, uh, that those aren't the judgments of God per se, was actually exercises of grace And God, we just pray that you would help us to understand uh, just the fullness of all of that. And then the the nuances and the places where it connects to our lives. So we just ask this and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as I I said to you last week, we're going to go ahead and walk through um, the plagues this morning. And you're like, plagues? You're really going to do that? Yeah, I'm really going to do that. And I'm not going to go in great detail. Like, there's 10 of them which means that's a fair amount of ground to cover on a Sunday morning. So I'm going to kind of do a survey of them. Now, when we get to Passover, I'm going to do the introduction to Passover. We're going to cover Passover next week because I didn't want to do Passover fast. I want to do it slow. I want to connect it to Jesus and all of what that meant. Um, And I think that it's pretty rich and full of detail, and I didn't want to go fast. But I don't know about you guys, but I don't generally look at the idea of judgment and think that there's grace involved in it. I don't know if you guys have ever thought about that. Like this morning, and I said this to Henry, we're in the office, and I'll probably say it again during the service. I, I was driving down this morning, and it dawned on me, like I mentioned to you guys last week, that God doesn't harden Pharaoh's heart until the sixth plague, the sixth plague. So there were five of them where Pharaoh hardened his heart, or Pharaoh's heart was hardened, but never God hardening his heart. I don't know if you guys know this, but five is the number of grace, Okay, so five times God gave Pharaoh an opportunity to repent, and on the sixth time, six, he carried out judgment. So listen, listen, that's good news for us, isn't it? That means that judgment can actually be God trying to knock on the door of your heart to get your attention. Man, how many of you guys had this happen in your life before you became a believer? Like God, like you look backwards and you can see all the places that God was trying to show up for you. You guys, you guys ever do that? You ever like look backwards and think, man, he sent people all over. Like people, for me, it was people at work, people I surfed with. Like all of a sudden, everybody's becoming a Christian. I'm the only non-Christian and all the rest of them. And they're all inviting me to church and stuff. I'm like, you guys are all weirdos. But, but that was God. It took like two years of him nudging me. My, my sister Jojo, who often watches our service. Um, incidentally, if you would keep my sister in prayer, I haven't said this publicly anywhere. My sister has MS, Late Life Diagnose, and and just if you guys would lift her up because her her health goes kind of weird. And if you know her, she's super energetic. She's hating that I'm doing this right now because she will see it. But I know that she'll love that I'm doing this. Could you just keep keep her in prayer? She's got some opportunity for some, some medical procedures that she's praying into, and I'm sure she would appreciate the open doors and the prayers. Um, but she's, she's actually spoken at one of our women's events. So she's very energetic. She's not able to do that right now, but we're believing for healing. So if you would join me in prayer, anyways, I said all that to say, Jojo got saved just before I did. Well, Jojo and I were party buddies. Like we were always getting in trouble and I didn't realize that she was one of the people that God sent as a messenger of grace to me. Until I was like studying this, I'm like, oh, my gosh, even my sister was a messenger of grace for me. See, I, I, what I'm trying to encourage you with is you just really don't know all the stuff that God might be trying to do to reach you. Mm. So last week we talked about protecting yourself from getting a hardened heart like Pharaoh. And we talked a lot through how Pharaoh's heart got hardened. But you know what, the, what I love about studying Moses? When you study Moses, Moses is the story of us. He's the story of somebody trying too hard, making big mistakes, and then God wrapping back around him and restoring him. You know, he makes just, how many of you guys made tons of mistakes? Come on, tons of mistakes. So did Moses and God still used him. And that is exactly what God is doing with you as well. You might make mistakes, but he's still using you. So we're going to walk through these. We're going to survey them. But I want to start with the verse that talks about, why plagues? Like what was God up to? Why would he do this stuff? And this is out of Exodus chapter nine, and it'll be verses 14 through 16. I just want to start here. And then we'll go back to chapter seven, which is the beginning of, of the, of the plagues. And we'll walk through them briefly, but Exodus nine verse 14, it says for this time, I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people. So watch so that you may know that there is no one like me. I don't know about you, but that's kind of a powerful statement. In other words, why did God let all this craziness happen? Because they rejected him. And he said, doesn't matter if you reject me. I'm going to show you that there's still no one like me on the earth. Verse 15, he says, for if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the face of the earth. I could have just done it. But indeed, for this reason, I've allowed you to remain. Watch in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name throughout all the earth. Wowzers, man, is God like an egomaniac or is he just trying to say, don't forget who's really the Lord of Lords? Is that really what it? I don't think God is trying to get everybody. So over and over he says, I'm gonna show you my power. And when he says to show, it means observe, consider, to pay attention to. You guys remember the first time you saw the power of God? in any capacity, whether it was in your life, or maybe it was touching somebody else, you know, maybe you're, you're like, you're watching somebody get prayed for and got, they're crying because God is ministering to them, whatever it might've been. And you see God's power and it makes you pay attention. Like for me, I remember it like, this is free. This is not notes. I remember being in Calvary Chapel. This was West Covina, Raul Rees. This was like, Shoot, this would have been like 1986, 1980. I wasn't saved yet. And I remember sitting in the room, and it was big, like probably 2,500 seats, and it's packed. And, and like they were strict about how they did things. Like if you left to go to the bathroom, they wouldn't let you back into the church. You had to sit in the overflow. Like, they, they were strict. Like, the word of God is serious. Like, we're nice. We let you get up and go and sit and get coffee. And get, you guys are distracting as heck. No, I, I'm playing. I'm playing. It actually doesn't bother me at all. I've gotten used to it. But if you did that there. But it was packed. And I remember he'd preach and he'd give an altar call. And the altar would fill up with people that need to get saved. And I remember sitting in the seats going, that's kind of cool, but I don't get it. Like, I don't under, because I'm not saved yet. I didn't get it. You guys ever watch something and you didn't get it? Get it? Yeah, that, that's what was happening. And, but now on this side of it, I look back and I go, man, what a move of God. How powerfully was God because he was showing off himself by rescuing people from death. That's what was going on. And he said this, to proclaim my name, to, to proclaim, to give account, to reckon, to, to declare, listen, to recount, to remind you who I really am. Listen, do you know that that's what God is up to in some of your lives right now? He's trying to remind you who he really is. Like, I I don't know, like, it's been an interesting season for me. Some of it's been really hard. I feel like I'm coming out of the hard, which is beautiful. But man, there have been times I'm like, wow, man, God, this is hard. This is difficult. This is more than I think you should be doing in one person. Anybody ever felt that? I'm just being honest. I've felt that before. And then he said this, but I'm trying to help you recount who I really am. Like, I find that over and over. Like, I'll sit down, and in my head, I'm saying no to things. And in my heart, my heart's telling me, your head's wrong. You guys ever have that argument in yourself? You're like, your head's going, there's no way this could work. It doesn't matter. There's not enough money. There's not enough. There's not. This won't change. That person's always that way, whatever it is. And your heart's saying, God can change anything. He's the God of the impossible. He keeps reminding me of that. And it's why I'm sharing it with you, because I think he might be trying to remind some of us all that he's the God of the impossible. So he said he wants to do it to show his power, to proclaim his name. And over and over, we're going to see that God says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And over and over, Pharaoh says he'll do it. And then he doesn't. And he hardens his heart. By the way, that is the pattern of many Christians, sadly, that God says, go do this. You say, okay. Oh, watch. How many times have you said to God this? If you rescue me this time, I'll do whatever you ask. <laughs> How Come on, anybody ever done that? Come on, if you arrest me, I'll, I'll do, I'll give, I'll show up, I'll set up the chairs, I'll vacuum, I'll help with the kids, I'll go to Thailand, I don't even like Thailand, I hate Asian food, I don't like it, I'll go though. And we've all done this. And then you harden your heart and you step back and you forget the commitment. And I love that God is gracious enough not to totally hold us to those like radical statements that we sometimes give. But I'm still cautioning you like last week's sermon, don't harden your heart. So the first thing that we see just before we even get into the actual plagues, God sends Moses and Aaron and he he tells them, remember the staff, he gives them the staff and the staff is a sign of authority. And he says, hey, listen, when you go before Pharaoh, by the way, you're going to go, he isn't going to listen to you. Now, how many of us are going to go do what God told us to do if we knew there'd be nothing that would come from it? Okay, good. No hands. None of you are weirdos. Because that's, that, that's crazy. Most of us would not do that. But this is what we see, that God commands them to do this. He tells them they won't listen. He says, man, when that happens, I want you to get in front of them. I want you to throw your staff down. Now, we're back in Exodus chapter 7 now. And Pharaoh's sorcerers, they copy the miracle. So, so watch. I want to talk to some of you guys who don't think that life is very spiritual. Okay? Okay all things are spiritual. Let me help you. Say this with me. All things are spiritual. You mean me having a a knucklehead of a boss is spiritual? Yeah, yeah, it is. Me having a tough time with this struggle or that is is spiritual? Yeah, yeah, it is. You mean the source of all that difficulty in my life is spiritual? The answer is yes. Isn't it just because the world is sinful? Yes, but it's spiritual. I had somebody smiling at me because I had this conversation with somebody this week and they were present. And I'm like, man, it's all spiritual. The whole thing is spiritual. So listen, God sends them. They do miracles. They throw the staff down, turns into a stake. The other guys, the, the sorcerers from Egypt, they grab their staffs. They throw it down. Now you got multiple snakes. And what happens? Aaron's snake eats the other snakes. How many of you guys ever watched a snake eat a snake? I actually have. I, I, I've actually seen this. By the way, if you, if you go on YouTube or Facebook, you can find those clips. It, it's pretty wild. They're pretty, they're carnivores. They'll eat each other. They don't care. As long as one's bigger than the other, they'll eat each other. It's pretty wild. But, but man, I think, okay, so they're watching all this happen. Anyways, verse 12 of seven. Let me, let me stay in the text instead of just totally telling the story. It says, for, for each one threw down his staff and it turned into serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, yet Pharaoh's heart was what? Hardened. So he's watching this happen, and he still says, eh, don't really care. And and it says, and he did not listen to them. Watch, watch. As the Lord has said, he wouldn't. God said he's not going to listen. He doesn't listen. So before we even get into the place, a couple of quick insights. The world will always try to copy God. 100% of the time. God does a miracle with snakes. They do a miracle with snakes. You're gonna see in the first couple of plagues, they're gonna match the miracles. The world will always try to copy. It will always present to you a life that's better without needing God. Come on, this is our whole humanitarian issue. Should you be humanitarian? Sure you should. Should that be your God? No it should flow from your relationship with God. But, but man, we've gotten so off track with everything in our culture that we just lost the idea that things are spiritual before they're ever natural. The world will always copy God. The other thing is this, God has authority over the world. Aaron throws his thing down, turns into a snake. They throw their staffs down. They turn into snakes. God's staff eats their staffs because God's authority is what? Okay. That wasn't very enthusiastic. I'm not preaching very good right now, but you guys got to help me a little. Come on. God's authority is what? It's greater. It's always greater. I feel like I'm chewing on my words. I'll give you a little excuse to not respond. I don't feel like I'm very fluent right now, but listen, listen, God's authority is always over the world's authority. So what do I mean by that? Don't pick the world's way and expect God to bless it. Just don't do that. Do it God's way and let God bless it. And then the last thing is this, just like Pharaoh, don't let your heart get hard. Protect your heart from being hard. Last week, we discussed that the plagues were judgments against the gods of Egypt. I'm not going to go through that again. You can go back to last week's and catch that. The purpose of the plagues is is very distinctly deliverance. God is going to set people free. By the way, God is still doing that today, not any different. You feel stuck. How many of you guys in the room feel stuck? Got an area in your life you're stuck? Come on, your pastor's hands up. Let's be honest with each other. Maybe you don't feel stuck today. Everybody's got areas that they're stuck. Some of y'all are liars. That's your stuck spot. I'm just saying. I'm playing with you. But I'm just saying, everybody's got spots that they get stuck. Everybody does. I don't care who you are. Everybody's got those spots. And what this is about is that God was a deliverer back then, and he's still a deliverer today. Never changed. That's the whole purpose of Jesus coming. So, so the first miracle is water turning into blood. Now, I'm a fisherman. By the way, I'm a pretty good fisherman. The 35-pound tuna I caught last summer on the boat proves that I'm a pretty, that's actually a small tuna, just for the record. But 35 is still the biggest fish I ever caught. Steve and I fish all together, together all the time. Um, he actually outfished me the last two years. You got more jackpots than I did. I'm just saying. But if you go prior years, I, I anyways, it's not a bragging contest, but I like winning. I love fishing. OK, when, when we go out on boats, and you can ask Steve. I've done this multiple times we'll be on the water and I'll look and I'll be like, it's gonna be a really good day. Mm. And it's not just me, like I'm looking, the water clarity, the temperature of the water, the temperature ambient outside. Like I I know, I fish enough to know we're gonna do well today. And I like, I know y'all know I'm colorblind, but I can look at the color of the water, the color that it looks to me anyways. And I can tell you that the water is lively, like it's healthy Mm -hmm. and it's gonna be a good day. Now, if, if I walked up on the Nile to fish that day, I'd be like, oh, let's just pack it up because all of the water is what? Red. It's blood red. Like, like it it even says that the fish die in this particular water. Now, remember the plagues are about God's power on display. It's about dealing with Pharaoh's heart who is hit stubborn or literally in this particular passage, it's heavy. In other words, resistant is what it means. In Moses and Aaron, they meet Pharaoh by the Nile. And in verse 16 of chapter 7, this is actually what they say. You shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go. Still declaring that over you today, by the way, that they may serve me in the wilderness. That, that serve me, by the way, is a reflection of worship, that they can go and worship me in the wilderness. By the way, you went from the wilderness out there and you came into here to do what? To worship. Because where there's worship, there's presence, there's release, there's, there's possibility. And he says, but behold, you've not listened until now. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand and it will be turned to blood. Okay, so they walk up to the water, they smack the water and it turns into blood. Now, you know what's wild about this miracle? The river turned into blood, the tributaries, the streams turned into blood, the water in the vases in their houses, the cisterns turned all the water, not the connected water, all of the water turned into blood. And it did that for seven days. Anybody ever gone seven days without drinking any water? It's actually dangerous. You can die from not drinking water for seven days. Yeah. And that's what's going on. There's no water. It's in the, the cisterns have blood. It like, says that the people are digging around the Nile to try to find water. Because if you dig a hole outside of polluted water, it'll seep through the sand and you can drink it. I don't know if you guys know that. Yeah. If you're a camper, it like filters the water for you some. So they're just trying to figure out, like, how do we survive this thing? It says that that every single part of it is just just bad. It's gross. And and Moses does this, and he does it in the sight of all the people. So everybody watches him strike the water to demonstrate God's power. I, I just think that's awesome. Like he went from chicken to, okay, water turns red. It says fish are dying, all the water, all the streams, all the the tributaries, all the vases of water, everything lasted seven days. And it says at the end of this, Pharaoh had no concern for what just happened. And and it says this, that even his sorcerers were able to do the exact same miracle. Now, Now, I'm a little bit of a cynic, and I don't know how this happened. How did they do the miracle, Moses and Aaron? And how did the sorcerers do it right next to them? Like, how do you know they actually were successful? We know Moses and Aaron were, right? Because they started it, right? They threw the first punch, if you will. Exactly. But we don't know that they actually mimicked it. But it says, the scriptures say, so we're gonna agree with what the scriptures say, that they copied it. We just don't know how that looked. Maybe they were 100 yards downstream and hadn't gotten red there or something, and turned red, I don't know. But we do know this, that it says that they were able to copy it. But you ever wondered, like, why water, why blood? Like, why did God do that? Well, we know the significance of blood as believers, right? Yeah. That life is in the blood, we know that. Yeah. And then what about water? Like, think spiritually and naturally. Spiritually speaking, the blood of Christ is what sets us free spiritually. Right. Water, water, you can't live without it. Exactly. You know, I, again, I, I shouldn't probably do this, but I was driving down, I thought, how much of our body is comprised of, of water? By the way, I am safe and I use Siri, okay? So I'm not driving, looking at my phone this time. Anyways, so I said, hey, Siri, what's our body comprised of? How much water is in our body? And it's like 60 to 70% of our body is actually water. So in other words, if, if I took a 200-pound person, 60 pounds of them is actually legitimately them. The rest of it's water. Man, if I just lost some water, I'd lose. Anyway, OK. So water and blood, spirit and natural. Both are necessary to have vibrant life. So from there, we transition into the frogs. In chapter eight, verse one, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Again, worship. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I'll smite the whole territory with frogs. Now, I know, like, I'm the only weirdo in the room that likes critters. Anybody else like critters? My son does. I know there are a few. Okay, there are a few of you in the room. Like, you know what's kind of funny about frogs? They're really gross. Like, every frog I've ever picked up went to the restroom on me, because I'm not allowed to use the word P-E-E from the pulpit. But all of them, they're gross. They're disgusting. And it says that they were so prevalent that they were everywhere. So imagine... You walk into your house and there's frogs all over the floor. You pull the bowl out of the cupboard. There's frogs in the bowl. It says they were even on the kneading bowl. Like everywhere you went, there's a frog. Man, now now I'm a little bit of a cynic, and I kind of think to myself, Pharaoh, like the people are not going to want to follow you for very much longer because they didn't have water for seven days, and now there's frogs up in everywhere in their world. It's in bowls, it's everywhere. Everywhere you go, there's frogs. And so Pharaoh says, hey, Moses, please pray to God that the frogs, he says, you tell me what day that the frogs go away. He says, how about tomorrow? Okay, so like, again, I'm a little bit cynical. So I think, well, if the frogs are gonna go away, maybe they just like creep back down to the Nile and go into the water and they're gone. That's not what happened. The frogs died right where they were. So not only did you have a household full of frogs, now you got a household full of dead frogs. Okay, so now you're, you're raking up the dead frogs, says they set them in heaps. Can you imagine what that would have smelled like? Oh my goodness. They're only eight days into this. It's bad. Like sometimes we don't really get, like we read through and we're like, oh, God is powerful. Like, hello, there's dead frogs everywhere. I don't know, that's just wild to me. And, and so the frogs that, and he says that you would know that there's no one like the Lord our God. Listen, this, this is about God saying, I'm God no matter what. And again, it says at the end of this one that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Eight days in, bloody water, dead frogs, stinky land. This is bad. So the next, the next one is lice. Now Now, in some of your Bibles, it'll read gnats. Some of your Bibles, it'll read lice. Um, it's, they're similar in the Hebrew language, but I, like, this is what went on me. Like, I remember our kids being in elementary school and you get that lovely letter from the school says your kid's been exposed to somebody with lice. Anybody ever got that letter? Yeah. If you're a parent. Yeah. You're, did your kids have lice? Oh, they're hard to kill, man. And they're really gross. They're really gross. Like I, like people are like, he's talking about lice from the front. The Bible's got it. Why can't I? Anyways. The kids come home, somebody at school, they get lice. That means like everything, like we're bagging all the blankets, bagging all, you got to let them die. You got to let them sit for like two weeks or something like that. And, and you're putting stuff in their hair and oil in their hair and medicine in their hair and you're brushing and it's just disgusting. Oh, I mean, they're little parasite bloodsuckers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're nine days in now and you got lice. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about this kind of journey now? I mean, these things are like, like even you guys don't even want to talk about it. You're not even responding to me. (laughs) It says in in verse 17 of chapter eight, it says they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and he struck the dust of the earth and and there were gnats or lice on man and on beasts. All of the dust of the earth became uh, lice throughout all of the land of Egypt on man and beasts. And then watch, watch. They copied the the sorcerers, magicians. They copied the blood in, in, in the water. They copied the frogs. They couldn't copy this one. Now, I'm not sure why they couldn't make lice. I don't know. The Bible doesn't suggest why, but it does go on to say this in verse 18. It says, the magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats or lice, but they could not. So there were gnats or lice. I'm just going to read lice from now on, on man and beast. And the magician said to Pharaoh, this is what? The finger of God. Like even they recognize something's happening that we can't contend with. It's the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen just as the Lord said. Man, sorcerers can't copy it. So so what does this mean? Like, when I think of lice, this is what I think of with lice. They're pesky little things, and they're gross. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they bear disease, and they can transfer disease from people to people. And they're just, ugh, they're annoying. Like, I remember when my kids had it, it, it because they, they, somebody at school had they brought it home. And, and I remember thinking to myself, I feel like I'm crawling. I feel like something's on me. I didn't get them, right. but I sure felt like I did. Yep. Oh my gosh, everything, like the wind blows. You're like, you're magnifying glass. You're trying to see. This is, this is what I think this means. So just a little bit of an interpretation, if you will, that God will deliver you even from the pesky things in life. Because we all have pesky things, those annoying things, those things that get under our skin so easily the pesky things, like even the small things God will. But in this case, God is using pesky things to get his people delivered. And then from there, it goes to flies. And, and I don't know, flies, man, I'm telling you, this is bad. Imagine this is you. No water, seven days, it's blood. Ew. Frogs everywhere, they're dead and they stink. Yuck. There's lice and my kids got lice in their hair. We got to bag up the bedding. And, and the very next day, there's flies. I like, again, I think we kind of sanitize this when we read it. We just think, well, this is God demonstrating his power. If I'm living here, I'm thinking this is a bummer. This is, this is horrible. So verse 20 of chapter eight, it says, the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh. And as he comes out to the water, say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go. And what do you think Pharaoh's going to do? Not that, that they may serve me. Let them go. I want them to worship. He says, for if you don't let my people go, behold, I'm going to send swarms of flies on you, on your servants, on your people, and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptian will be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they dwell. In other words, everywhere you go, there's flies. Now I said to you guys, I'm a fisherman. Now I catch fish on boats with my brother, but I also fly fish. So you get me on a stream, it's just really, it's beautiful and the creek's going, you're out there fly fishing. Some of you are like, I don't fish, don't care. You just lost me, pastor. I'm so distracted because you're telling fish stories. When you fish, there's mosquitoes everywhere. And you're like throwing your fly, because it's kind of a thing like this that you do. And while you're throwing it, you're doing this number. And you got your hat, and you're doing that number. And you've got deed on. And deed smells bad. And don't get it on your lips. It tastes even worse. And you're trying to just survive so that you can catch this fish. There's flies everywhere. That's the closest. Like one time, we went fishing up in a place called Mosquito Flats. That should have been a hint, by the way. (laughs) Should have been. We walk up to Mosquito Flats, and I got swarmed by mosquitoes. I literally had to dive into frigid cold water to not get bit anymore. Oh my like, I mean, I think in the water, it was probably in the 50 degrees, so it was cold. And I'm like doing this, and I'm going to like, oot ow, ooh, ow, ow, like I think we counted. I think I got like 22 bites in like seconds. Just got swarmed. I actually dove in the water. I didn't even catch any fish. It wasn't worth it even that's kind of what I'm seeing here. Like there's so many swarming them that they can't even get away from them. But watch, I love this about God. Verse 22 of that same chapter. But on that day, I'll set apart Goshen. Incidentally, Goshen is where all the the Hebrews or the Israelites live. By the way, even if there's craziness around you, God will set you apart. Hello? You should think like this, by the way, you really should. It doesn't mean it's it, it, like no trouble comes your way. But when it's stuff like this, God will set you apart from it. And he says, he says listen, in Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of flies are going to be there at all, in order that you may know that I am the Lord, uh, that I'm in the midst of the land. Now, I got a question for you. God's people experienced the first three plagues. Why? You ever thought, like, why did God let them experience Like, in other words, the water was difficult for them as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The lice were around them as well. I think that maybe they might have needed to be convinced a little that God was God as well. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking, I'm thinking maybe some of us, maybe it's just me, but maybe some of us, I know it's me. Maybe some of us need to have distracting things like that so that we remember that God is God. Because, man, I'll tell you what, I always think it's unfair when I go through trouble but maybe it's just God sometimes trying to remind me that he's God. And even though people around you are getting impacted by it, doesn't mean that he left you, because now this time he sets apart Goshen and says no. So Pharaoh's response is this. He says, listen, okay, Moses, I'll tell you what, why don't you just sacrifice inside of the land? Because Moses was asking to go three days journey into the wilderness to worship God. Pharaoh goes, how about just stay in the land? Moses declines this and goes, listen, if you let us stay in the land and sacrifice, the people who just went through blood and lice and flies and all the craziness, the stinky frogs, they're all going to say this. It's their fault. They're the ones worshiping a God different than our gods. Let's kill them. Moses goes, they're just going to stone us. Why would I let that happen? You need to let us go as God said so Pharaoh says, go to the wilderness then. Okay, go to the wilderness, but stay close. He's still trying to control them. By the way, people who are evil will often try to do that. They'll give you enough freedom without actually releasing you. That's, what, that's what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Give them enough freedom. And Pharaoh says, just go. Just don't go super far. So Pharaoh asks Moses, listen, but when you get there, could you please pray for me? Because this is bad and I'm looking bad now. Is this cockeyed or what? Like, I'm the guy not letting you go, but I'm asking if you'd pray against the plagues that God is putting. This is crazy. I've had people reject God and then ask me to pray for him. You know what I think is interesting? I, very rarely, one time in all the times that I've offered prayer to somebody that I have somebody say no and because they didn't believe in prayer. And I've offered prayer to, like, literally hundreds of people out in the community, out and about, hey, just kind of making conversation. I offered it to him, I've only had one person say, to no, you don't need to pray for me, I don't even believe in that. Every other time, somebody has said to me, thanks. Pharaoh's saying, hey, Moses, when you get there, please pray. So Moses prays, the flies leave. In the same scenario, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Exact same cycle, no different. He asked God to, to relieve the plague, and then He hardens his heart again. So now, and I know I'm doing this fast, so just keep tracking with me, uh, because if I did it slow, it would take us three or four weeks to do it slowly. But the livestock now are gonna die. Now, it's important to say livestock because I've always kind of thought of this like, well, the cows are dying. But it's not just the cows that are dying. It's the livestock that are dying. It's more than just the cows. So in Exodus chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and speak to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go. Again, set them free. This is God's message over and over and over. He says, go that they may serve me. For if they refuse to let him go or they continue to hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will come um, with a very severe pestilence on the livestock which are in your field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the herds, and on the flocks. The goats, how many guys like goats? My wife loves goats. They're so cute. She shows me videos on Facebook. They're so cute. They sound like babies crying. They're so cute. In this story, they get sick. In this story, like everything, it affects every single livestock, period. And it says this, that the, it, the livestock of the Israelites, theirs, they didn't die. So now if you're in the land, you're starting to get a clue whose fault it is. You get what I'm saying? There's somebody in it that's causing difficulty for everybody else that's involved. It says that that the the, the horses, the camels, the herds, the flocks, that they're all going to die because of the pestilence, the livestock of the Israelites, and nothing happens to them. The end of the story is the exact same thing. Pharaoh hardens his heart. So now we've got five times Pharaoh has hardened his heart. What happens on the 6th? Let's read Exodus 9, verse 8. It says, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take yourselves handfuls of soot from the kiln. So like the, the ashes in the, in the fire, he says, and let Moses throw it toward the sky. Listen, in the sight of Pharaoh, it'll become fine dust over the land of Egypt and it'll become boils breaking out and sores on man and beast throughout all of the land of Egypt. So everything that happens, he does it in the sight of Pharaoh. So imagine this, like you've already experienced five plagues and you know they're bad and you're hardening your heart. You're not letting the people go. And then you watch the guy who's key creating all the trouble. He's got a handful of dirt and you don't know what the dirt means. You're just watching them and you watch them go. How are you feeling? I think this is what's going on. Oh no, Uh (laughs) uh-oh, what's, I don't know, what's gonna happen? Something's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And it says that the wind takes it and everywhere it hits, man and beast, there's boils everywhere. Now, remember the sorcerers were always trying to copy the, the miracles of God, always trying to copy. It says in this story that it was so bad for them, they didn't even present themselves in front of Aaron and Moses on this one because the boils were too painful. They just stayed back. They're like, forget it, man. Like Pharaoh, let him go. Like, holy cow, they're destroying everything. Our cattle are dying. Now we're getting sick. We got boils. I'm sure they're thinking like, just let him go. And in verse 12, it says, and now watch the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So up until now, we just saw over and over that it was Pharaoh hardening his heart. This time, God is doing the hardening. So... I'm somebody who, um, I have a pretty healthy fear of God. I think some of it comes out of my childhood, like the Catholic upbringing. Um, One of the things I really respect about Catholicism is they teach that God is God. Like he's not always super duper nice. They kind of teach the holiness and reverence. And that comes out of my childhood. And I had an Italian dad. Yeah. who was formidable, who you were kind of afraid of at times, even though he was very loving and very caring. But you didn't ever want to cross him. You didn't ever how many guys had a dad that you didn't ever want to get mad? And what's funny is my dad like I never got spanked once in my life. I never needed to. Because if he got mad, I was like, uh-oh. But Steve, you got some whooping, so didn't you? <laughs> I did, yeah. <laughs> So, so sometimes, listen, sometimes I fear God because God is God. Sometimes I fear God because I don't want people to know my junk. You get what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't want God to expose me. And, and I, I don't want everyone to know. And what is the line that you cross? Like, when is that line? I, I, like, we talked about this in midweek. This week, we're teaching through Lamentations on Wednesday night in our group. We sat down, we started talking. I said, man... What is the line that you cross when God finally says, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I've given you enough chances. I'm done. And and of course, the question comes up that Autumn was in our group and everybody goes, well, what do you think, pastor? I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm like, and this is honestly what I think. I think the line is different for everybody. I think it is. I, I think some people need a much shorter leash than others. I think others need grace more than others might need grace. But I do know this, that there is a point where you will cross the line and where God will give you the weapon that is coming your way. Now I I think this a little bit, I think this a lot actually, I think in modern Christianity, we've made God a God of love, but nothing else. And I've said this, like Henry and I were talking about this, I said, listen, if you don't have grace, there's no such thing as judgment. Let that sit with you for a second. You're like, "Huh? You don't need grace if there's no judgment." Let me say it differently. You don't need grace if there's no judgment. If there's no consequence, then there's no need for grace. It's just kind of neutral. It's in the middle. There's no consequence. So, so when I when I look at this stuff, I always think like, "How far is too far? Like, when is it that I cross that line?" Here's how you know you're in danger. If you're asking yourself, "Is this too far?" That's how you know you're in trouble. If you're thinking, maybe I can get away with this one. Maybe just one more step and it won't be too dangerous. Possibly if I did this, I won't get caught. Just this will be the last time. I won't do it again after this. Maybe it's dangerous if that's how we're living our lives. Instead of when the spirit convicts you of something that's wrong, you go, God, you're right, and I want to step back from that. Now, now I'm saying that in the sense of rebellion. I want to speak to one other aspect of it. Some of you who are struggling with sin are struggling with sin because you're bound. If you're bound, you need to get counsel, you need help, you need somebody to walk with you. Like this is in particular substance abuse, um, pornography, stuff like that. There's there's sexuality, lust, um, overeating even. There's lots of places where people behave in ways that they lose control of themselves. They're bound. When you're bound, you need somebody to help you get free. Now I'm not talking about rebellion. Rebellion's like, I'm gonna see how far I can go before God gets me. When somebody's weak, this I taught the staff this on Tuesday morning. I, I said, listen, when somebody is weak, you just go to the nth degree with them. You keep working with them. Like okay, let me see. Anybody have that person in your life that keeps making mistakes over and over and over and you keep trying to love them? Yeah. Anybody got that person? Brother, sister, aunt, uncle, friend. You got somebody, and you're like, man, again? But they're really penitent. They're like, really repentant. They're like, man, if I could just get, I don't want to do this anymore. And I just, I end up in a spot. I end up frustrated. I end up weak, and then I fall. You know what I'm saying? Those people, you keep loving them and helping them. But when somebody says, I don't really care what God thinks, step back. The lightning bolt's coming. I'm just saying, like, you need to let that person, like when people are rebellious, leave them to their rebellion. When people are weak, get along. I'm not saying don't speak. I'm saying don't get in alongside them. When people are weak, get in alongside them. Weak people, you just keep nurturing and hugging and loving and encouraging. You'd be surprised that they, they often will get free. It's in First Thessalonians 5. It says, admonish the unruly, correct them, encourage the faint-hearted, strengthen the weak, be patient with everybody. If you're looking for a scripture reference, that's a culture of ministry for us. When somebody says, I don't really think that's what the Bible says, or, I'm done. Because if you're going to contend with God, that's between you and God. I don't want to be in the middle of that. But, but listen, if they're saying, man, I'm struggling to grab that, well, I'm here to help you. That, that's why we exist as a church, is to help people grow up in Christ. So. Be careful when you're doing this, like how far is too far. That can get you in a lot of trouble, um, because I do think there's a point where you cross the line. God will execute judgment. If you keep denying him over and over, then he will ultimately give you over to that thing. If you keep saying, I'm in control, I'm in control, I'm Pharaoh," I'm rebellious, I'm in control, God will say, fine, why don't you have it your own way? That's actually what's happening in this story. Okay, let's see if I can speed this up a little bit. Let's get verse 14 in there. He says, for this time, I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people so that you may know there's no one like me in the earth. This is God declaring what I read at the beginning. I'm God. Now we transition to the next plague, which is hail. In verse 18 of chapter nine, it says, behold, about this time tomorrow, I'm gonna send very heavy hail Uh, such as has not been seen on the, in, in Egypt from that day until it was founded until now. Now therefore send and bring your livestock and whatever is in the field to safety, every man and beast that is in the field or that is found in the field and is not brought home when the hail comes down, they'll die. So this plague affected everyone, slave Egyptian, everybody. Now, this plague is across the land, every single person. And then in verse 20, it says, the one among the servants of Pharaoh. Now he's talking to the Egyptians who just experienced six plagues. He's saying, listen, if you guys have any wits about you and you fear God, maybe you should take your stuff out of the field. Maybe. So this is what it says. And those who feared the the word of the Lord made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. So for those of you who wonder, like, is God merciful in this at all? He is. You know that there are times where, where nations suffer the impact of, a, of an evil leader, but people groups do not because they choose to honor God. That's what's happening right here. So Pharaoh's evil, the people are being affected by Pharaoh's hard heartedness. And this time God says, by the way, I think some of you are getting a clue and maybe you should take your stuff and put it into safety so that it doesn't all get snuffed out. Now, this is so bad. It says that when the hail falls, man, it's just wild. He says he says to him, stretch out your, your hand toward the sky. It, it'll kill everybody that's in the field. It destroyed the plants and the trees, everything. So this hail was so big that while it was falling, even the plants were being killed by it. The only thing that survived was the wheat and the rye, and that's only because it hadn't bloomed yet. Now, I just think that's wild. Like the hail was so bad that everywhere it landed, it killed everything. It wasn't covered. Whoo. I, I like, I'm thinking like, if, if I'm an Egyptian, I'm thinking, are God's weak? Because nothing's standing up against their God. And if I'm an Israelite, I'm thinking, whoo I got the strongest big brother that ever lived. This is wonderful. I mean, it's just, it's amazing that like the extreme opposites in this story. And, and Pharaoh, say, it says this about Pharaoh, that he sinned again and he hardened his heart. So of all of that story, even with the hail falling, even with the warnings of God, he still does what? Hardens his heart. Man, it's crazy to me that he just keeps going back into the same cycle. So now you've got two things that survive. You have the wheat and the rye. What's the next plague? Locusts. Now, locusts, they'll eat anything. You guys need to know that. So the locusts, and now this one's introduced even with a disclaimer. Now God starts to talk about why am I allowing all of this to happen? And by the way, this applies even to us today to look at the testimony of God throughout history. So this is Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart, and the hearts of his servants. So now God is exercising judgment on them, giving them over to what they desired. He said that I may perform these signs of mine among them. In verse two, it says in that they may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians, how I performed my signs among them, that they may know that I am the Lord. So listen, this is even for generations and passing things on to other people. So, so i got a question for you. How important is your testimony to the people in your household? Kind of important, massively important, a little bit important. L- listen, parents say, say, Pastor loves me, because I do. The worst thing you could ever do is not put your faith on your kids. Oh, I'm gonna let them figure it out. Let me help you, the world is gonna help them figure it out. Because there are plenty more pressure from the world than they're ever gonna get in your household, way more. Integrate yourself into their life. So, So I had this thought as I'm going through this, you got all these plagues going on, all this craziness going on, and I'm thinking like, imagine the effect on the economy now. Like everything's destroyed. Water, cattle, livestock, the plants are eating up. There's locusts, like there's nothing. So I you know, like I said, I'm a little bit sarcastic, a little bit cynical. I think hey, there's this couple, and they've been saving all of their life to go on this this vacation to Egypt. And I think this plays out a little bit like this. I'm just saying, like, like, man, we've got our dates picked. We even have our flights all set up. I know they didn't have flights. Let's say it was camels. So we've got our camels, like, we're ready to go. We have, our, like, like, listen, we're going to go. We're going to go on the, on the Nile. We're going to go for a river cruise. It's going to be amazing. In the afternoon, George, he's going to get to go fishing. Okay, wait. Bloody water, dead fish, something like that, and then he says, man, and then we're going to ride camels through the orchards. Oh, there are no camels or orchards anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine the the impact on this economy. Oh, and their food, it's like, it's so fresh and wonderful, and the fragrances of Egypt are delightful, like piles of dead frogs. (laughs) Being a little bit sarcastic, but holy cow. Imagine now, you're somebody in this nation you're probably thinking something like this. Just, just get out. Just leave. Leave us what? Alone. Alone. We don't like, man, Pharaoh. Like, I'm sure there were people in Pharaoh like, just let them go. Yeah. Like we got nothing left. Everything's dead or dying or it's being crushed and hailed on. It's just crazy. Everything's dead. The fish, the livestock, the plants, they're all dead. Exodus chapter 10, verse 4. It says, for if you refuse to let my people go, behold, I'm going to send locusts into the territory and they'll cover the surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the land. There's going to be so many of them, you can't see the dirt. Imagine walking, crunch crunch. I mean, oh yeah, I love it. All the ladies are like, oh, that's so gross. I think I agree with that one. I don't even like walking on bugs and I'm a little crazy. <laughs> they shall cover the surface of the land and no one will be able to see the land. They will also eat the rest of what escapes so the, the rye and the, and the wheat that survived and, and to you from the hill and they will eat every tree which sprouts from you out of the field. Man, it says the locusts were so so thick that they darkened the sky. You couldn't even see the sunlight. Man, there's no green left on any plant, the wheat, the rye, everything's eaten. There was no harvest that year in Egypt. And then just like this, God sends a wind and there's not one left. And what kind of power is that? I mean, this is just amazing to me. And yet it finishes by saying, and Pharaoh did what? Hardened his heart. See, now we know God is creating something because he's leading his people into a new destiny. And then this, darkness, man, the darkness is the next plague. So some of you guys know that like we're outdoorsy, like we're always off-roading somewhere. We're going and exploring stuff. Like our latest thing is caves. Hey, come on, everybody, wake up. I ain't that boring. I know I'm covering a lot of ground, but I don't think I'm boring. It, it, like I don't think I'm boring. Maybe you think I'm I don't think I'm boring. A- anyways, we go cave hunting. So we get into caves and we all got headlamps on and stuff. So the last cave we went into, we walked in and I said, hey, let's everybody turn out the lights, like no lights at all. You guys ever been in something like this? Like you literally, you can't, you can hold your hands like that. You can't see them. There is literally zero light, like no light whatsoever. And it said it was like that for three days. It said people didn't move or go anywhere because they couldn't see where they were going. Oh, but by the way, in the land of Goshen, the Israelites households, they all had light. Wow. Oh man, I'll tell you what. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's pretty wild to me because I've been in situations where you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. Verse 21 of Exodus chapter 10 says, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that there would be darkness in the land of Egypt, even darkness, which may be felt. I don't know. You ever thought about that? Maybe it's spiritual. You ever thought about that? I don't know. I'm just saying, maybe it's spiritual. I think it's spiritual. He says, so Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days, no light at all. They couldn't even move or see each other. The Hebrews had light. Pharaoh says to Moses, listen, just go serve your dog, your God, your dog. Oops. He probably did say it anyway. Go serve your God. Said, leave the livestock, but you can take your kids. (laughs) So he's trying to, he's still trying to act like he's got a power play here. Like, hey, I think it's kind of like this. Okay, you've completely decimated us. Your cattle are still alive, ours are not. How about if you leave us something? I think that's what's going on. And Moses says, "No, we're we're not going to do that because God didn't ask for that to happen." You ever wondered why God picked Moses? I, I like I wonder this all like, I like I get around people like leaders that are really prominent. Like I get around a pastor Dan. He's a really prominent leader. And I think, why did God pick him? And then I get around, like, I, like, even I think me, like, why did God pick me? And why this setting, this place, this amount of people, like all of those things. I, I think of my brother leading worship here and leading worship down in, in Dana Point. I think, why did he pick him to do that kind of stuff? I look at anybody, any leader, prominent or small, why did God do that kind of stuff? Why Moses? See, because see, I can relate to Moses, because on, early on, Moses was way full of himself. How many of you guys are full of yourself? Come on, let's be honest for a minute. Come on, if I, if I take a picture of all y'all, you're going to look at where you were sitting and if you're in the picture. You're Just gonna. You're gonna. We all like, but Moses, man, there's something very unique about Moses. Why did God pick Moses? You know, if, if I saw that many things of power, I would be so full of myself. You know, I, I was looking at Facebook a few days ago and a buddy of mine who's a pastor popped up and he asked if he could have a meeting with me. This would be like, I don't know, 2010. We had just moved into the building. And and you know, I, I, and I only knew him from a class. We had a class together. And, and so I said, sure. And so he, he shows up at my office and we sit down and I could tell he's like, this is different. I think he thought he was getting a meeting down there. <laughs> so I think he was looking to meet with the mega pastor and he met with me. And I remember him asking, like, what made it work for you? And I thought, uh, I don't know, just kind of trying to follow God, do the thing. But I was so full of myself, I'm guessing better than other. Like, I'm, like I just thought, like, uh, why is it working for me? Because I'm, I'm smarter, more clever, I'm more driven, I'm more something. It was all about. Well, now, years later, I really understand this. It's really not about me. It's why you see so many leaders arising in our church. Because it's, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's why you see me giving place to so many other people because uh, I want to see people grow. I want to see people realize their calling, their destiny. I want to see people emerge into something different. See, Moses, man, he started out full of himself, but now the homeboy's like straight in, like on the job training. He's knee deep in it with God. Just go do what I told you to do. So, so I want to pick any of you in the room. God has called you. Somebody say, God has called me. By the way, he's called everybody in the room. Now, let's say for a moment, God has called you to go talk to, like, the most powerful nation. Let's say he's called you to go talk to President Biden. And let's say that you actually got FaceTime with him. What would you say? Wow. See, initially, I would think, like, some of us would think this. The only reason I'm getting that platform is because I'm so slick and smart. That's how some of us would think. Others would think, just like like Moses, pff, I don't know how to speak well. Like, I don't. is it the big fork or the little fork? If we have food, like, which one do I use first? I don't know. Like, we would feel intimidated by that. I would like to think, by this time, Moses has gone through so much, he's just like, God, whatever you say, I'll do it. And incidentally, that should be the attitude of our hearts. So let's say you did get a platform with somebody that prominent. Let's make it smaller, let's make it the mayor of the city. Let's make it the CEO of your company, whatever. How would you behave? Would you act as an appointment of God? Would you do it with thoughtfulness and consideration, with boldness if God asked you to do it that way? What would you do if you got that kind of possibility? See, when I think of Moses, I think, man, what a remarkable story of a guy who kept falling forward you know, I, I, can I tell you something about leading people? Just keep going. You'll keep. You'll. You'll end up on your feet if you keep trusting God. I, like, I was talking with somebody. Uh, this is regarding Pastor Dan, and I, I was around Water of Life when it was really small, like a few hundred people, in the early 90s or something. And, and now it's mega church. And and I remember like times watching things happen and thinking that's not how it should get done. Like just you know. There's a better process, a better organization. Like, like, I think that's funny now because I look at the success and I think, who am I to say? But then I thought, there's better ways to do this. And in my own naiveness, my, my own immaturity, I would think there's, there's other ways. And this is what I know about people of God. If you keep your attention on God and the things of God, you will keep falling forward. Will every decision be right? Anybody in the room ever make every right decision ever? No, okay, good. I'm glad Jesus isn't here. Well, he's here, but he's not here. You keep choosing God, you'll keep falling up forward. You'll keep landing on your feet. That was one of the things I've been amazed with. Every prominent leader that was really God-centered that I've ever been around, they keep falling forward. They keep landing on their feet. They take risks, God meets them. They make mistakes, God meets them. It's wild to me So my encouragement to you is be kind of like Moses. Just go do what God said and keep landing on your feet. He's going to make mistakes. As we look at his life in the future, you're going to see he makes big, gigantic mistakes. I mean, he makes mistakes that are so large that God called him to lead the people into the promised land and Moses doesn't get to go. Big deal. Big mistakes. So listen, listen. He kept over and over and over representing God. Kept over and over to the point where God says, man, other people, I talked to them from a distance, Moses face to face, we're buddies, we're friends. There's a depth of intimacy with Moses that is really, really powerful, really, really remarkable. So the last thing I'm gonna share with you and then we'll wrap up and we'll do the Thailand meeting and then we'll do football later today. And I'm only gonna do this by way of introduction, we're gonna cover it next week. See, the last plague is the Passover and i really want to do this service next, next week cuz i want to take some time to go slower through it so that it's not just a race to the end in exodus 11:1 it says now the lord said to moses one more plague i'm going to bring on pharaoh and on egypt and after that he'll let you go Oh, man i'll tell you what i don't think i'd want to be on the receiving end of that He said, and when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. In other words, I'm going to want you to be gone so badly, I'm going to make you leave. And how would you like to be so annoying to your enemy that they think, man, I want anything. I want anything but Jason to be in the room. I want anything but Gonzalo to be in Because the if they're in the room, God is with them, and that changes the whole game. I don't want James, I don't want Grace to be there, because if Grace is there, God shows up. And if God shows up, that kind of ruins my plans. How would you like to be so formidable in God that when you show up, the enemy shudders? See that's how you need to be thinking about this story. Like Passover is being entered and God is saying, "Listen, he's going to be so annoyed with you. He's going to drive you out. He doesn't want you anywhere near anything that's going on." How many of you would like that in your life? Man, I I tell you what, I there's only like four hands up. You guys are pathetic. How many of you guys want the enemy to shudder when you show up? Come on, don't we thank you. That was a little better participation. I feel a little hurt there for a second like they don't really want God. Listen, I would like to say this of us, of our church moving forward, that we would have enough depth with God that when we show up, we're annoying. The enemy goes, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, James showed up, there's a problem, Uh uh-oh, Sammy's in the room, Uh uh-oh, Colleen, Colleen's here, oh man, that's man. That means they're gonna pray and they shake the heavens. That means they're gonna worship and they invite the Spirit's presence and that changes everything. Oh man, Steve's in the room. He's gonna lead worship and God's gonna show up and that means I can't hang around because God's there. He's gonna chase me off. Then somebody walks in the door and they're all bound up with sin and lust and pornography and alcohol and craziness. And and then the the devil walks in with them because he's got them bound up. He's all, "Uh uh-oh, James is gonna preach. That guy brings some oomph, we better stay outside (laughs) because something might, how would you like to be that annoying Uh in the realm of the spirit? Mm -hmm. That's what I think a lot of this story is about. Mm -hmm. If you'll dial into God and walk with where he's leading you, you can be the rock in the devil's shoe. Mm -hmm. You can be the one who annoys him. Mm -hmm. See, listen, I know we're all contending for different areas in our lives. We're contending for health. We're contending for our families. We're contending for fruitfulness. We're contending for our children and their destinies and their spouses. And we all have stuff in our lives, every single one of us. What if your authority in Christ was formidable enough that the enemy was like, "Uh uh-oh, man, Jerry's praying. Uh Uh-oh, Scott's on the drums. That's like the the beat of heaven, Uh uh-oh. That's how we should be thinking about our gifts. That's how we should be thinking about our role within the kingdom. See, I think that sometimes we shrink back. What I love about Moses is he kept falling forward. Kept saying to God, I don't speak. I don't talk very well. Don't know who I am. Why would Pharaoh listen to me? Every excuse under the sun, only to get to the point where it's like, wowzers, God can use my life if I'm willing to position myself for God to use my life. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to wrap up right there. I have more notes, but it's late, and I love you guys, and I know you're getting hungry, and football's coming. Let me, let me pray for you all, though. Um, Lord, thank you that we can take something as crazy and weird and wild as the plagues in Egypt and try to discover something about our own faith, our identity, our journey with you, maybe the areas that we need to grow in and not shrink back in, God, I pray that there would be shifting in every single one of us that as we consider that, man, the the God of the universe will move heavens and earth to get us to where he needs us to be. God, I pray that you would help each one of us to be a, a threat in the spiritual realm, not casually doing faith, but actually intentionally doing faith. And God, I do pray that you would anoint us and grace us. I pray that as we go forward, that there would be a sense of your presence about all that we do. I pray that the plans we have in front of us, that as we submit them to you, God, that you would make them prosper. The plans that we have that are not from you, that that you would give us awareness so that we go the direction you'd have us go. God, in all things, we just want to commit our lives and say, help us this week to honor you more intently, to walk with you more closely, To hear your voice more clearly to love you more passionately god we just say thank you for this place to gather together and we look forward to next week talking about passover the depth of the riches of christ woven into the old testament so god grow our hearts in this and pray that you keep your hand on us as we go in jesus name